Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week seven of the college football season. Starting to feel like fall. I'm headed back to Notre Dame this coming weekend. Temperatures expected in the 40s, so it just doesn't get a whole lot more college football than that. Week six, kind of a dud. Um, Can't really... There's no way to to put much of a bow on it. I'll I'll try to uh, highlight any of the uh, exciting tidbits uh, that that took place this past weekend. Um, but but as a bonus here, uh, I think it's about time to take stock of the season thus far. Uh, halfway through the show, I'll get into uh, my current uh, top six in in where I would have the playoff rankings if if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, as well as my top five in the Heisman race thus far before uh, before heading on to week seven. Uh, before I get started, as always, just want to remind everyone that if you're going to a college football game uh, or really visiting a college town for any reason, use rentlikeachampion.com. I'm using uh, Rent Like a Champion for my upcoming trip to Notre Dame. Uh, got, got five other people staying with me at a house. We Went to Rent Like a Champion. We found a perfect house, walking distance from campus. Uh, you know, we'll all sleep comfortably. It'll be great. Uh, so go to rentlikeachampion.com and use promo code SCOOP. That's S-C-O-O-P. Uh, and you will not be sad that you used Rent Like a Champion. All right, so week six uh, got started uh, with a bang on Friday night. Cincinnati knocks off UCF 27-24. to UCF had four turnovers in this one that really doomed them. Um, the end of a couple streaks here for UCF, it was the end of their 30-plus point streak, um, which, had, uh, which had been the longest active streak in the nation, and it was the end of their AAC conference winning streak, uh, which dated back to 2016. Um, you know, first time UCF has had two losses in a season since 2016, and probably, they, they still have a chance to get back into it, but with Boise State being undefeated and SMU uh, remaining undefeated, which we'll talk about in a second, probably going to be hard for UCF to get back into contention to uh, to be the group of five representative in the New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, then, turning the page to Saturday, uh, probably the biggest game of the weekend was Florida and Auburn. The Gators get the win 24-13 to in that one. And for Auburn, it was really kind of the Bo Nix performance that we had been waiting for. Uh, certainly the one that I had predicted against Texas A&M, uh, but was wrong about that. He went 11 for 27, 145 yards, just one touchdown compared to three interceptions. If you're an Auburn fan, this one has to sting a little bit because def- despite the poor performance from Bo Nix, um, you lost the game, you know, by just two scores, and there were two touchdowns uh, that were t- sorry, two almost touchdowns that were immediately followed by interceptions. Um, one uh, one dropped pass that that could have been a touchdown, as well as Derek Brown, the defensive tackle for Auburn. Uh, recovering a fumble 
and just tripping himself up with nothing but green grass in front of him. Um, so two chances for Auburn to score, and then on the very next play in both instances, uh, turn around and throw an t- interception. So just uh, a really tough loss for Auburn, and they've got a tough schedule coming up. Uh, they you know have to face the rest of the SEC West with Alabama and LSU, and they've got a uh, crossover game with Georgia. So you know this this Auburn team that really got off to a great start could easily be looking at an eight and four season going forward. Uh, but we'll also certainly have a chance to play spoiler against uh, some of these uh, top five SEC opponents, and that's going to be the common theme for the rest of this SEC season. Uh, as expected, Ohio State dominated Michigan State 34 to 10. It's a little closer than expected, uh, really in just the first quarter. But the Michigan State offense had no chance in this one. Uh, Justin Fields did struggle a bit, uh, really for the first time all year. Uh, threw for 206 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Also ran for 61 yards and a touchdown. Um, but J.K. Dobbins picked up the slap in this one. Uh, he's separating himself as one of the best running backs in the country. Not that I needed to tell you that. Uh, but OSU showed, you know, showed some resiliency. Um, showed that they can win in a couple different ways. It doesn't just have to be Fields uh, taking on the load offensively by himself. And I don't think Ohio State's going to play a better defensive team, you know, maybe when they play Penn State, but probably not until uh, they ultimately get potentially to the playoff. So uh, a good a good test and, and, you know, pass with flying colors for the Buckeyes. And I just don't see anyone in the Big Ten uh, contending with them at this point. So they have, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Clemson having no problem uh, going 13-0 and and, and reaching the playoff. And I think we're probably... Uh, getting closer and closer to feeling the same way about Ohio State. Uh, staying in the Big Ten, very different, uh, very different looking game though. Michigan holds off Iowa ten to three. We said this would be a good measuring stick for the Michigan offense, and didn't pass a lot of tests. Um, I, I always, I've been talking all season about all those receivers at at Michigan. And, um, you know, what a, what a deep group of talented receivers they have. I don't know. I, they're, they're not making me look good. Nico Collins seems to be the only one of those receivers that actually produces. Um, you know, and I don't know if it's... We, this is something that I've talked about throughout the season. Is it the coach? Is it the offensive coordinator? Is it the quarterback? What, what exactly is the problem? Whatever the problem is, it's not getting fixed. Um, but the good news for Michigan is the defense played championship level football in this game. Uh, Lavert Hill, the cornerback, uh, really stepped up. He's a known quantity. And then Cameron McGrone, the linebacker, uh, you know, filling in injury, although it's not like he hasn't played, but typically not a starter. He really stood out in this one. And, uh, and it's a situation where Michigan might be learning who some of their best players are, uh, as the season goes on. I would expect Cameron, Cam McGrone, uh, to get uh, significant playing time going forward, as he was a real spark in the middle of that defense. Um, you know, an important outcome, one that a lot of people might not have seen, um, given that it was in that Pac-12 after dark slate, and that was Stanford and Washington. Uh, Stanford knocked off Washington 23-13. to You know, just bad news for Washington, who... I, coming into this season, I'd say they really had a chance to establish uh, themselves as one of the dominant 
programs in their conference. So, you know, we what we've seen from Ohio State in the Big Ten or Clemson in the ACC, Washington had a chance to really put their stamp on the Pac-12 this season. Um, but with two conference losses already, clearly not seizing that opportunity. Cameron Scarlett led the way for Stanford in this one, rushing for 151 yards. 151, shout out to Bahamas 08, uh, also had a touchdown in this game. Uh, Baylor went on the road, stayed undefeated, beating Kansas State 31-12. I was incorrect about my prediction there. I went 1-2 and two with my picks uh, this week. Utah State had chances early against LSU, uh, but made too many mistakes on offense. Ended up getting blown out in that one. Uh, I was right about Notre Dame. Uh, they won 52 nothing. They covered by a touchdown there. They could have scored more. They didn't feel like it. So be it. We'll take the win. And then I really got screwed on the last one. Um, you know, that's the razor-thin margin between a 2-1 week and a 1-2 week. Uh, Texas allowed the backdoor cover against West Virginia. Uh, they gave up a touchdown with under a minute left to win by 11. But the real kick in the face was that if you took the pick a little later, you were the winner. Which, hey, great for you. I'm not I'm not upset about that. But the line got down to 10 and 10 and a half for most of the week. Um, but I got it early. I got it at 11 and a half. And therefore, I was a loser by a half point. But hey, you win some, you lose some. That is That is life as they say. Um, probably the craziest game of the entire weekend. Uh, alluded to this earlier, but SMU trailed Tulsa 30-9 in the fourth quarter, scored three unanswered touchdowns to send the game into overtime, and after trading touchdowns in the first overtime, Tulsa missed a potential game-winning field goal in the second overtime, and then SMU came through with a touchdown in the third overtime to win 43-37. Uh, just as I'm reading that, that is a remarkably similar game story to the 2012 Notre Dame-Pittsburgh game. Um, but anyway, SMU reaches 6-0, and and they do remain firmly in the race for that group of five New Year's six spot um, right there with, with Boise State as the two undefeateds uh, so far. Yeah, it just wasn't much of an exciting week six. Um, I mean, that that's about all that really happened that mattered uh, on the field. You know, college football is kind of, it's it's the gift that keeps giving. There's so many layers to unwrap, so many weird things that happen. Um, one thing just for the listeners, right now if you're at a computer, you got your phone, just Google Tennessee football squirrel um, and, you know, click on the first link that you find there and you'll be hopefully routed to an article about this random guy in Knoxville, Tennessee, who found a baby squirrel and took it in as a pet. And now he dresses the squirrel, this is a living squirrel, he dresses the squirrel up in like a tiny little Tennessee football uniform and brought it to the game against Georgia this week and was just holding this squirrel dressed as a Tennessee football player up in the crowd and everyone's loving it. The squirrel seemed to be completely normal acting. Um, so these are the, just the kind of nuggets that you might not necessarily catch, uh, anywhere else, but I want to provide you with these little nuggets that can brighten up your day. So take a second, Google Tennessee football squirrel. I doubt you'll be disappointed that you did. Although I can, if my mom's listening to this, there's like, I would say an 80% chance she's saying, Ooh, 
That's creepy. Um, who knows? I'll find out this week and I'll see her if whether or not she listened to this and whether or not she said, ooh, that's creepy. Um, all right, with without uh, without anything else to talk about from the week that was, let's get into halftime. Before uh, talking Heisman and talking rankings, I did with that Notre Dame game, uh, since I expected it to be a blowout, I put up some props uh, on Twitter and uh, I, I asked my followers to uh, make picks of, of the different prop bets for the Notre Dame game, and I said there would be a prize for the winner. The winner of the prop contest was Tommy Vegas. Congratulations to him. I admittedly did not have a prize in mind uh, when I made this empty promise, but the prize for Tommy, I will break news here on the pod, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm breaking this news to him, but in case he doesn't know, here is your gift, Tommy. There is going to be a season two of the Purge television series, and it's starting, I think, this week or next. Um, I don't even, I reviewed The Purge last season. It was, I think, I, I would have to go back and listen, but I think I ultimately decided that it was terrible. Um, but here's how they rule me back in, reel me back in there, very smart. This season of the show is not going to fro- focus on Purge Night. It is going to focus on the entire year between Purges to kind of show the ramifications of living in a world where the purge exists and you know does it lead to people then committing crimes that aren't legal uh you know a lot of the questions that i've often asked as a purge fan and a purge completist uh will hopefully be answered in season two of the purge television event and i gotta say one of the characters in this show is played by the actor who plays booby miles in friday night lights and sean diddy combs in Notorious. So, you know, just an A-plus level actor. I don't know how they got him, um, but really impressive stuff uh, by the folks over at Blumhouse. So, Tommy, uh, your gift is that there is a Purge Season 2, and I will recap it at some point on the Scoop and Score podcast. Good job on winning the contest, and that is what you get. All right. um, So, at the midway point of the season here, just about the midway point of the season. Let's take a look at where we are. There are still a lot of undefeated teams. I don't know exactly how many, but like 15-ish. And as my listeners know, undefeated teams are ranked ahead of teams with a loss. Plain and simple, that's how it works. But I've narrowed this down to six teams. And, uh, you know, only four make the playoff. And I'll just tell you right now, as the season stands today... Neither Clemson nor Alabama are in my top four. Clemson makes it for me at six. Alabama's not on the list at all. Sorry, beating Duke as your best win doesn't really cut it right now. Um, Clemson, people, uh, you know, got concerned about that North Carolina game. First of all, North Carolina is not a terrible team. They went on the road and won. They also completely controlled Texas A&M and been absolutely crushing everyone, including a decent Syracuse team to that point. They come in at six. Wisconsin is there at five. Uh, one of the more impressive wins of the season, destroying Michigan at home uh, and really destroyed everyone uh, other than Northwestern. Uh, that Northwestern game looking pretty ugly is what keeps Wisconsin uh, from being higher on this list. I have Ohio State at four. They've looked incredibly complete 
uh, destroying Nebraska at Nebraska and and completely crushing uh, both both Cincinnati and Michigan State. Cincinnati, uh, that win looks better now after they knocked off UCF. So impressive overall resume there from Ohio State. Number three, I've got Florida. Uh, that win against Auburn, certainly important. Uh, the Miami win doesn't look great. Uh, but, you know, just just overall body of work. Auburn, certainly an impressive win. Uh, Miami, Kentucky, they've at least played mostly, uh, they've played three, you know, legitimate Power 5 teams. Uh, so that's worth something, and we'll learn a lot more about Florida uh, this coming week when they play a team that we're going to talk about in just two picks here. Um, number two, I've got Georgia. Uh, I think they've got the second best win of the season, beating Notre Dame at home. Uh, they also crushed Vanderbilt and Tennessee. So like Florida, you know, that's three power five teams. Overall, just a more impressive body of work in what they've done than what Florida's done. And number one, LSU, uh, I would say going to Texas and winning that game is the most impressive win of the entire season. They also uh, they they also crushed Vanderbilt. Uh, they just crushed Utah State, a team with with Jordan Love at quarterback, who we uh, all seem to think is pretty good. Um, so LSU right now number one, and they will get a chance to further solidify that claim uh, coming up uh, here in Week Seven when they face off with Florida. But before I get into that, let's talk a little bit about Heisman. Uh, the only Heisman bet that I actually made this year, uh, I took a $20 flyer on Ian Book. Uh, my thinking being that if he went into Georgia and really kind of put the team on his back, he would have come out of week three of the college football season as one of the favorites. And given that I got him at 70 to one, it just seemed worth it on the, you know, let's say one in five chance uh, that he won that Georgia game by himself. Uh, it, it seemed worthwhile uh, to to make that bet. I'm not expecting that one to pay. But this is kind of the time in the year when you can start to look for value. Um, and right now, I, I think five guys kind of stand above the rest. And that's four quarterbacks and a running back. Uh, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Fields, and the running back, Jonathan Taylor. Um... I ultimately, at number one, I would give, at this point of the season, my first place vote to Jonathan Taylor. Um, he has run for 745 yards, 12 touchdowns. He's also received, uh, he's caught passes and, and has 114 receiving yards and four touchdowns. Uh, I did a, little, did a little math here, so bear with me, but on 115 touches, he has scored 16 touchdowns. So that's a touchdown on 14% of his touchdowns, or about one out of every seven touches. Now, for comparison's sake, to do to, to compare to another running back, and I'd say certainly the second best running back in the country right now, Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State, who has already rushed for over 1,000 yards. Uh, he's not a factor in the passing game the way that Jonathan Taylor has been. He's only scoring on about 8% of his touches, and or one out of every 13. So that's about half the time uh, that, that Jonathan Taylor is scoring. So when you compare what Jonathan Taylor is the best running back is doing compared to the second best running back, that gap is what right now, I think, gives Jonathan Taylor uh, that number one spot in the Heisman voting for me. 
Uh, and then you get to the group of four quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Fields. Um, Burrow and Tua kind of have similar numbers, and then Hurts and Fields kind of have similar numbers, where Hurts and Fields are doing more with their legs, while Burrow and Tua aren't adding a lot but have, have bigger passing numbers. Um, the top of this group, I think, right now is Joe Burrow. Um, he's got the most passing yards of the four, 22 touchdowns, three interceptions. The thing about Joe Burrow right now is he's got that performance against Texas, which is unlike anything we've seen from the other guys. None of them have had the big-time game that LSU had going into Texas and getting that win, where he threw for 471 yards and four touchdowns in a seven-point win. It all mattered. It was a you know back-and-forth shootout, and he did it on the road versus a top-10 team. I've got Jalen Hurts in third. Um, the, the passing and the rushing combined, he's got uh, a total of 21 touchdowns, uh, 14 passing, seven rushing, just two interceptions there. Um, and then I have two of fourth and Justin Fields fifth. Um, you know, again, it's, it's splitting hairs with a lot of these guys. Um, but I just think that's where we're at right now. So just one through five, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Fields. In terms of where there's value, um, I think Justin Fields is the guy who's most likely to go 13-0 in this group. Uh, and he's also got the best odds of anyone in this group. Um, uh, Jonathan Taylor might be behind Justin Fields, but Jonathan, it's, it's unfortunately, it's a quarterback award. And, and it's just too hard for running back to break through. But I think there could be some value in Justin Fields if it, we're going to see a situ situation where each time one of these guys loses, they just get bounced from consideration. It's kind of, it's kind, you know, last year everyone thought Kyler Murray was out when they lost to Texas, but then he comes all the way back and wins the Big 12 championship, beating that same Texas team. And since Tua Tagovailoa lost on the last day of the season, he kind of got leapfrogged. So if all of these guys are losing games and kind of dropping out and Justin Fields is able to go 13-0 with Ohio State, I think you're going to at least see him have just about as good a chance as anyone. If I had to just pick a winner, I still think it's Tua, um, but I don't see the value there right now. So right now, I, I would support uh, putting a little bit on Justin Fields, and you might be able to then hedge your way into profit, um, but... Uh, but that, that's where we stand right now. I don't think there's necessarily value on betting Tua at this time. All right, so that's sort of uh, where we're at with, uh, with my rankings, both for, for teams and the Heisman. So let's jump into a week seven that should, looks like maybe, looks like it could be the best week of the year so far and should uh, should help, you know, show us what the landscape going forward will be uh, for the rest of the season a lot more than Week 6 did. Uh, starting off at noon, we've got the Red River Showdown, number 6 Oklahoma versus number 11 Texas meeting in the Cotton Bowl. These teams met twice last year. Uh, as I just mentioned, Texas won in the regular season, Oklahoma won in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, over the last six regular season meetings, these teams are 3-3. Three and three. Um, 
the last uh, all all three of those Texas wins, they've been the worst ranked team. Um, this is a great matchup of offensive offenses, two offensive minded head coaches, two coaches that really know how to get the most out of their quarterbacks. Um, Oklahoma's looked better on defense this season so far with with defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, uh, but this is going to be the first real test that they get. Uh, I mean, Houston with the Eric King early in the season. Uh, certainly was something, but nothing on the level of what they're going to see from Sam Ellinger and the rest of this Texas team, uh, you know, a, a loaded receiving core there. Ultimately, when it comes down to this, I like the fact that Texas has played in a big game. Uh, even if it was a loss against LSU, that is something that they can build upon. Um, this this defense is going to be much more prepared for what they're going to see in Oklahoma's offense then Oklahoma's defense will be prepared for what they're seeing in Texas's offense because they've already seen it with Joe Burrow and LSU. And for that reason, I like Texas to pull the upset here and win a close game, and I'd look for wide receiver Devin Duvernay uh, for Texas to have a big one in this, uh, helping, uh, helping the Longhorns pull the upset, and that is one of my three picks this week. Um, I will take Texas plus 11 against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, another one of my picks, just because I'm not going to get to it uh, really in breaking down the game, but it's actually Friday night. Uh, Virginia getting two points going to Miami. We got the siren here. I'll give a hot take. I don't think Manny Diaz makes it to season three at Miami. Um, I think, uh, you know, certainly hard to fire a guy after one season. But I think two bad years in a row, which is probably where things are headed for this Miami team. I don't think Manny Diaz makes it to year three. And I think this Virginia game is just a step in that direction. Uh, I can't, you know, watching these two teams now play a couple games each, I just can't see uh, why Miami would be favored in this one. Almost to the point where this seems like a trap. Um, but, you know, when, when you're making these picks, you got to kind of decide... If something looks like a trap, do you just go the complete opposite way? Or is it actually just you seeing something that for some reason Vegas isn't seeing? I'm sticking with it. Virginia plus two at Miami. Um, moving ahead to the 330 slate. Number one, Alabama goes to number 24, Texas A&M. You know, this will be Alabama's toughest test to date. What we've seen from the Aggies, I don't think it'll be much of a test anyway, but you never know. It could at least be worth keeping an eye on, so that is why I am telling you about it. Um, also at 3.30, Michigan State plays at number 8, Wisconsin. This will be a good test for Jonathan Taylor and the Badger offense, as Michigan State has a good defense, as we talked about uh, a little bit earlier, uh, the way they performed for at least part of the game against Ohio State. So this could be the kind of game where... Jonathan Taylor could either really cement himself, you know, running for another 180 yards and a couple touchdowns, or if all of a sudden, you know, one bad game knocks running back out of the Heisman race. So if he's limited to like 76 yards and no touchdowns, that's going to be the end of Jonathan Taylor. So certainly a big game uh, for him and his Heisman candidacy. Um, again, I don't expect Michigan State's offense to be very productive at all against this Jim Leonard-led Wisconsin defense. So even if they are able to, to hold Wisconsin down a little bit, uh, I just I don't see Michigan State being able to score enough to win this game. I expect Wisconsin to win, you know, 
I, I expect them to kind of be up one or two scores the whole game and ultimately win by 10 to 14 in that one. Uh, 7.30, uh, one of three good night games in the slate. Uh, first, the one that I'll be at, USC visiting number nine, Notre Dame. Uh, all, everyone expects Keaton Slovis to start in this one for USC, returning from a concussion. Sounds like running back Jafar Armstrong uh, could return for Notre Dame, at least in a limited role, uh, for the first time since the opening series of the season against Louisville. Uh, Sean Crawford still expected to be out, although it sounds like playing against Michigan might be a real possibility, and that would be huge. Um, so with, with the administrative stuff of, of who is in and who is out out of the way, I'll just say that this game scares me. Um, it scares me to the point that my third and final pick of the week is USC plus 11. USC is coming off a bye. They're loaded at receiver. Um, they should potentially be able to exploit the fact that Notre Dame is playing without an established third quarter cornerback. Uh, they talk, they've talked about putting Dante Vaughn in as the third guy. Boy, I mean, we have not seen that go well um, any time that he has been asked to step up, whether it be in the Cotton Bowl uh, when, when Julian Love was briefly out um, or, or really just any of the kind of spot duty he's come in. Um, so, so I'm certainly afraid he could be picked on, but I'm also hoping that Clark Lee can get creative using Jeremiah Usukaramoa as an outside linebacker and putting him on, on a slot receiver with some safety help. Maybe we see third receiver Kyle Hamilton come in and play against the slot man a little bit. So we should, hopefully we're going to see some mixing and matching instead of just going straight, uh, to a backup cornerback that might not be that effective. Um, because of those potential mismatches, it's absolutely imperative that Notre Dame gets a lot of pressure on Slovis, hopefully without blitzing. Uh, can they do it with just a four-man front? That way uh, the, the receivers won't have a lot of time to get open, and Slovis has to make quick decisions. Um, ultimately, I, I do like Notre Dame's ability to protect its corners by getting pressure from the defensive line. Uh, I, I talked about it a lot in the preseason as a strength of a team. We've really start to see it come alive the last few weeks here, and I expect uh, Julian Aquara, uh, Khalid Kareem, uh, Jameer Jones, and pressure from the inside, Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, and Kurt Heinisch, hopefully Notre Dame's defensive ends uh, and defensive line as a whole can get after the quarterback in this one. Uh, on the USC side, at this point, Clay Helton is coaching for his job in every single game the rest of the way. He needs to go 10-2 and two and probably win the Pac-12 championship to have any chance of keeping his job. I expect him to be very aggressive, uh, as a coach with nothing to lose typically would. I could see him going for a lot of fourth downs, uh, potentially emptying the kitchen sink on trick plays, fake punts, things like that. Um, everything that I have mentioned at this point, you know, it, it, it makes me slight USC lean, maybe, maybe sort of an even matchup here. But there is one final data point that I am looking at that I think favors the Irish. The forecast for Saturday night in South Bend calls for a low of about 41 degrees, some moderate wind. I don't think USC is going to like the cold coming from Southern California, especially that it's early in the year. It's typical. It's not typical, I should say, that it gets this cold uh, this early in South Bend. So I actually think that the cold front could be a little gift from the college football gods. 
I think the cold and the wind might make it a little bit more difficult for USC to establish their passing game. And ultimately, I think Notre Dame finds a way to grind out a close win, and they keep their streak of allowing 30 or fewer points intact, winning 31-28. to 28. Going to be a good one, hopefully a good atmosphere, going to, going to be a green out. Uh, given that it'll be cold, I don't think that will be that successful because a lot of people will probably be wearing jackets and sweatshirts. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to do our best, and we'll see how that works. Also at 7.30, number 10 Penn State goes to number 17 Iowa. Kinnick Stadium is often a tough place to play at night. Uh, we saw that a couple years ago with Trace McSorley uh, taking his team with, with Saquon Barkley into Iowa and McSorley having to throw a heroic game-winning touchdown pass uh, back in 2017 right in the closing moments of that game. I watched that entire Iowa-Michigan game pretty much this week, and from what I saw from Iowa's offense, I just can't see them scoring more than 14 points against this tough Nittany Lion defense. Uh, I think Sean Sean Clifford is doing just enough, uh, and he's starting to come along. I'm going to predict a 17-14 Penn State win in this one, uh, setting up a really big matchup with Michigan at home the following week. And the last one of the week uh, that I'll get into here at 8 o'clock, the site of game day, number 7 Florida heads to Death Valley to play number 5 LSU. I don't expect this game to be close. Uh, Florida's coming off a huge emotional home win. Their inexperienced quarterback heading into potentially the most hostile environment in all of American sports. Um, I don't see Florida getting a lot done offensively at all. Uh, While the defense is definitely strong, LSU just has too many weapons in this one. Joe Burrow passing to Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall. Um, It's just, I, I, I really considered making my third pick uh, LSU laying a 13 and a half. I think this one could theoretically really get ugly. Um, something something like 35 to 7 uh, is certainly in play in this one. Uh, so that's where I see it. And I think after this game, you have to you have to look at LSU and say that they're the number one team in the country. Um, it, it doesn't really matter where you're ranked in October. This is a common refrain every single year. But if we're ranking on, on what a team has done this season, if LSU wins this game, and especially if it wins it as comfortably as I expect them to, they are going to have by far the most impressive resume uh, in, in all of college football with like two of the four best wins of the entire con- in the entire country and in, of the entire season. And I would think uh, that you have to rank them number one. All right, that'll do it uh, for me. And the Scoop and Score podcast this week threw a lot at you. Uh, I, I'm still, I, I, I just, this week, thinking back to last week, I'm, I'm working to get guests, I promise. I know this show works better uh, when I can go back and forth with someone and you don't just have to listen to me talk at you for 35 minutes. Um, doing my best. Hope to have a guest uh, this week. You know, labor disputes within the industry remain uh, remain a, a barrier there, but, uh, I promise I'm doing my best reaching out to a lot of people and I'll see what I can do. But until next time, 
Enjoy the weekend and go out. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.